Get in, loser. We're going self-immolating. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Oof. I am doing fantastically well. How's things your end? Wonderful. Um, we're going to talk about a film that is pretty near and dear to my heart tonight. So I'm stoked to do that with you. I feel like it's going to be a pretty Sam Russo film situation. I feel like Yeah, you got my number. I really like this one. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a unique kind of savagery that ticks a lot of my boxes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I I knew going in. Obviously, it's got Michael Shannon in it. We've not talked about what the film is yet, but obviously, it's got Michael Shannon in it, and I knew obviously that is a an entry point for good old Sammy. But I also knew just the 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 icky closeness, sparseness, the lonely, desolate vibes. It's just, it's a Sam. It's a Sam classic. Check, check, and double check your notes because you're 100% correct. Yes, indeed. This movie pumps my plums. My engine was thoroughly revved. I enjoyed every awful second of this. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the people what the movie's called, Sammy. They've seen the title of the episode, so they they might already know. But, like, go on. Tell them anyway. I'll save you the trouble. Don't read when you can listen. The movie's called Bug. 2006, William Friedkin, based on a play by Tracy Letts. The movie is Bug, uh, starring none other than the legendary Michael Shannon. And blowing my mind in this, Ashley Judd. We also get some Harry Connick Jr. And I've just listed more than half the cast. So there are two other cast members, both of whom names I do not know. Lynn Collins and Brian F. O'Byrne. Yeah. And then we also have some minor roles that we will gloss over because the scene is very much set and held by the aforementioned actors and the characters they portray. And what a fucking movie this is. <laughs> How did you find this fucker? So I, I saw this at a screening, a Fright Fest screening. Um, I can't remember if it was at Fright Fest or if it was at a Fright Fest event where I saw Saw 4 mm-hmm. and maybe the pink movie Catacombs. Okay. I think it might have been like an old air with those films. And I was like, this is fucking great. I had no real frame of reference for Michael Shannon at that point. Um, as we discussed on the Patreon episode a few weeks ago, I knew who he was. I'd seen him in Groundhog Day and like a few other things. But yeah, we're, we're at maximum Shannon here. This is like, I, I, well, I would say peak Shannon. Would you say that he's he's peak here or do you think he's got some Shannon in to do? I think this is the most raw and unhinged I've ever seen Michael Shannon in a movie. And I think a lot of that has to be attributed to the fact that he's reprising his role from the play in this movie. So he he he's a pretty, you know, famously quite well known for his stage work. And that's where he started out uh, was, you know, acting in all these different plays. And this was one of the plays that caught people's eye, I think. This and I think he was pretty uh roundly applauded in simpatico and a couple of great like just a couple of great plays out there anyway like you can see how much of that performance he brings to this movie even if you haven't seen the play it's very stage it's worth worth mentioning the whole movie not the whole movie but the vast majority of the movie takes place in one motel room so again like 
you want to make me a perfect movie or what? Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, but yeah, he's bringing a lot of his stage gravitas. Some people might criticize this as uh, overacting. I think it's absolutely bang on from start to finish. Yeah, so I would say, I don't think we've seen Shannon Peak yet. I think he's still climbing and I think he's still finding new corners of his craft to explore. And he's got bigger budgets behind him and he's got bigger audiences to show it to. So I think we're just getting more and more. But this is definitely the early stages of him just discovering what he wants to be, I think. Yeah. And he probably discovered through the course of this movie that he didn't want to be maybe typecast as the overacting crazy guy. So this might be a boiling point that he kind of rolls back from for a few years because the first movie I ever saw him in was Shotgun Stories, which is the following year. I wouldn't be amazed if, you know, that wasn't in production at this point. He looks basically exactly the same in both movies. Yeah. So, um... How old is he yeah, here? Is he... I, I sort of pick question. him about 20, 28, maybe? Yeah, you want to guess at 28? Yeah. So he's 32 in this movie. I, I, IRL. He has a younger energy. His character has a younger energy, I think. And I think... I don't think that's accidental because no one could ever accuse Michael Shannon of looking much younger than he is. No. He He comes at this in the early stages of the movie with a very quiet innocent almost coy performance that you think is gonna stay relatively vanilla you think you've got this character figured out within his first 10 minutes on screen and he goes from that to the absolute polar opposite of what we're introduced to in the beginning so you know the spectrum of his acting is is broad in this movie yeah. and yeah he you know he plays a guy who has left the army so he has to be old enough to have enlisted and served for a time and he has left yeah should we drop a synopsis, take a break, and then come back and rip this puppy up? Yeah, absolutely. So, as a synopsis, I've got a quote here from Michael Shannon. Hit me. The quote is, I've always thought that Bug was a love story between two intensely damaged individuals, but it's not called love story, it's called Bug, so it's probably about some other things too. <laughs> <laughs> I read that exact same quote, and that is a pretty superb synopsis, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, I thought the same thing, and I was glad that that legitimizes my early thoughts. I was like, this is a fucking love story. This is about, it's about loneliness, it's about fragility of, you know, human coupling. It's, you know, it's about paranoia, it's about mistrust and betrayal and loss and grief and all the good shit that I love. Filling in the blanks there, an Oklahoma motel is the setting for two damaged lonely people going insane yeah they either are covered in or think they're covered in bugs inside and out and go to varying measures in order to justify their beliefs and it doesn't end well for anyone it's so hard not to use the word buggery to describe yeah <laughs> what's happening so yeah let's take a break on yeah. the subject of buggery see you in a minute up, man. Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Jamie. Sam. I know for a fact that you really like 4152 by Sundowner, released by Red Scare Industries. It's an absolute banger of a record. One of my all-time favorite acoustic records. I got some great news for you. It's being re-released, reissued on sexy special vinyl, uh, by Red Scare Industries this year, and you can buy it with your hard-earned cash from Red Scare Industries. How do you feel about that? I feel great. So I never picked it up on vinyl when it first came out, um, and I'm not a big variants guy. But like the idea that I can get it on vinyl now, I can, I can 
Well, I can tell Kaz to get it me for Christmas. It's, there you go. It's a dream. It's a perfect, perfect, wonderful dream. Yeah, and Red Scare classically doesn't like or do variants either because, uh, you know, as a label, there's a, a sentiment that you shouldn't buy shit just to resell it. You should buy it to love it. So yeah. this record is being put out with love for the low, low price of $41.52 with a full bundle. That includes a T-shirt and the, the sort of icy white blue variant of the record. Uh, what a mega treat. Yeah, and if you buy it, you will love it. It's an yeah. amazing record. Stunning. I'd go as far as to say genre-defining piece of uh, punk-influenced acoustic poetry. Yeah, I think we wouldn't live in the world that we live today if it wasn't for this record. I wholeheartedly agree. There'd be lots of people not making very good acoustic music without this record setting the bar incredibly high. Absolutely. So buy it. Where can they buy it, Sam? They can buy it at the Red Scare Industries online web store. Um, so go there and fucking buy it. Yeah, I think it's redscare.net or something. That's the right? one. Yeah. Well played. You were asking for a specific URL, and there you have it. <laughs> redscare.net. Check it out. Yeah, so Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Yeah, get stuck in. You know you want to. And we'll go back to the podcast. So it's hard to talk about this film and not focus on the insane and incredible and enigmatic and some points over the top, some points very restrained performance of Michael Shannon. But I want to yes, talk please. about Ashley Judd in her role as Agnes. She is incredible. I think there's like the sort of the trailer park beauty like trope is is kind of mm-hmm. overused. But she's amazing. I think like I don't even know if it's meant to be that trope here or whether it's just that she's just an incredibly beautiful actress that they put some muck on, made her hair a bit scraggly, covered her in <laughs> I, crack. Yeah, I think she's she's perfect in this in basically every way imaginable it's hard uh it's hard to imagine a film with such incredibly strong lead performances right next to each other for basically the entire movie and imagine it working but it just does she counterbalances him perfectly in a lot of scenes where he's you know way over the line and she leads with such like show stealing stage stealing confidence and competence in her performance that you end up just kind of like pinballing between the two characters until you realize it's over and you're just fucking spinning out on your couch. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Just absolutely reeling at the end of it. Like, because the, the, the film takes a very mm-hmm. slow and measured approach until you're stuck and you're too far in it. And it's like, Oh God, I'm covered in bugs. And now I'm covered in yeah, fire. There's, there's bits towards the end where you, you, you kind of, there's a pause for breath or a scene where Michael Shannon actually leaves the motel for a minute and you think, how the fuck did we get here? What is happening? This was like a nice, this movie opens with a nice fun bar scene where everyone's hanging out, having a good time. It's like, how the fuck did this happen? Which is, you know, masterful writing, great direction and stellar performances. There's going to be people who hate this movie, I think, by the way, like it does not play well to people who want uh, a simple antagonist and a hero it doesn't play well for people who want budget it doesn't uh, play well for people who want you know sweeping vistas and you know uh, masses of exploration and everything else it's exploring the deepest darkest recesses of our minds and that's you know that's the most exciting territory that friedkin goes to in his career i think yeah i think i think so too i think the 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 key of this film is like how people can get swept up in each other's bullshit and like as viewers, if you're willing to put in the work, you yeah. absolutely also get swept up. 
and maybe not like with the insanity that is happening, but like it escalates so carefully, so slowly, and so so deliberately that like by the like you say by the time you get to the insane stuff, you're like this has all been a natural progression. Now we're here. Now we're knifing <laughs> robot doctors and. And I sort of struggle with this a little right. bit, but I think this is meant to be a comedy. Um, but I don't find yeah. it very funny. I find it mostly horrifying. But there's a scene like fairly later, like late in the movie, where where Michael Shannon's character Peter is trying to get Aggie to like make the insane connections herself. Yep. Like he's given her enough rope, and so he's trying to get her to make them herself. And she's like going through all these sort of really tragic events and, and prescribing meaning to them in a, in a really intense way. I think you can view that scene as funny if you're watching mm-hmm. it through like a, this is funny, but I found it so harrowing and so depressing. It made me cry. Just like watching her justify the disappearance of her son and make all these connections that, yeah, it's, it's really grim. There's a lot of speculation about what the, mm the meaning behind the film is but like i see a real parallel to like my mum and facebook and like how she's being slowly radicalized more and more by like the bullshit mm-hmm. that she sees in her echo chamber and like my mum was always fairly right wing but like it's just more and more and she's more emboldened to say it and more believes it more strongly and more ridiculous things um as she continues to exist in the echo chamber and I've mm-hmm. bored of calling it out now. Um, and I don't, like I say, I don't know if that is what they were going for, but it's absolutely like, I spend a lot of time in conspiracy theory internet just because it is a thing that used to amuse me and now sort of horrifies me, but I can't look away. Yeah. You're still there. Conspiracy theories used to be fun. True. It used to, it used to be like, Oh, the government have put, lizards in bumholes to make scientists go to space or whatever but now it's like everyone in the world is the devil and they're all transgender and they all want to kill you in your sleep which you're right does get boring like after a while yeah it feels like it's done now move on but you're, you're totally right like the 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 motel room is the ultimate echo chamber and these two people i mean michael shannon at this point is so far gone and she's right on the cusp in that scene of just letting it all go completely and slipping into that very special kind of paranoid madness that you're describing. He just gives her permission and enormous amounts of very aggressive encouragement to connect loads of things that are not even remotely connected to absolve herself of lots of like self-loathing, blame and responsibility for things that have happened in her life. And that is a stark parallel with a lot of shit that you see happening around you on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, it's it's frightening. It's beautifully played out in a two-minute dramatic scene uh, that, yeah, would bring a fucking tear to a glass eye. It's, it's so well performed. I, I have to wonder how much of it was scripted because it's so frantic and frenetic and it feels improvised and it's so beautiful. And he does the same thing. Shannon does something similar where he lists a load of actually semi-legitimate conspiracy theories that he links together. He talks about in like one space of, I don't know, maybe 25 seconds of dialogue, he's talking about the Bilderberg Group, Jim Jones, Timothy McVeigh, all of these things that are pretty well-known conspiracy theorists, if you know anything about conspiracy theories. And he just, you know, packages them in a way that's ready for her to swallow with a little bit of intellectual bullying where he kind of makes himself seem like an authority on a lot of subjects when 
you know, none of it holds up to scrutiny whatsoever. I mean, he's so bold. He's, I mean, we don't know if he's out of his mind or a master manipulator at the beginning, do we really? No. He's holding, like he pinches his fingers together to show her a bug and it's clear that she can't see it. And he just persists with the fact that there's a bug between his fingers and eventually she acknowledges it's there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the ultimate. <laughs> it's the, like, uh, the, the deception or the self-deception that kind of bleeds outwards to her. It's it, it it's a big part of that slow burn and the escalation of the tension. Yeah, there's a there's a scene before he lists those conspiracy theories where he lists a bunch of other conspiracy theories that have all been confirmed as true. Yeah, like the Tuskegee experiment. Yeah, and the he's dropping those all the way throughout, especially yeah. the military ones. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the LSD one, I can't remember what that one's called. Yeah, just a not bunch M- of not MK Ultra, but the other one. Yeah, and the Project Paperclip or whatever, like. He talks about all of these all the way through. And yeah, like as a viewer, you're like, well, those are real. Mm-hmm. So, or even as, as Aggie, maybe if, if she's aware, she's like, okay, these are real. So when he's saying these are the things, that's not, a, it's not a massive leap to get from one place to the other. No. And that's, I think that's the central tension for so much of this movie is you're trying to figure out, you're just trying to understand to what extent does Peter Evans genuinely believe in these bugs and to what extent is he exactly what we're kind of sort of told he is later on, like suffering from heavy, heavy duty delusional mental illness. And because you're grappling with that all the way through with Agnes, you totally lose your anchor and your mooring when she starts to go with it. And you are yeah. so alone. You're more alone than she is at the beginning of the movie. And that is pretty fucking dark. And it's just so clever. The movie manipulates you just as much as you see these characters manipulating and leaning on each other. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like a parasitic shit fight from the very beginning. <laughs> the only characters that are, what, good, right? Not good because fucking Harry Connick Jr.'s character is, like, ostensibly the hero here. Yeah, the best guy in the movie, like, in terms of our, our where, where we put our fucking spuds and turnips in terms of our morality, it's just this, like, wife, no, like, spouse-beating ex-convict who... It just terrorizes his ex misses for quote unquote losing their son. Just an emotional terrorist, obviously a thief, like a total piece of crap. And towards the end, we're like, please save her. <laughs> like, yeah. What kind of a movie does that to you? <laughs> God, it's horrible, isn't it? It's is yeah. so grim. And we end up kind of disliking her friend who seems great. <laughs> she seems yeah. like a riot. And at the end, we're just like, leave them alone. They found love. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> My brains. Yeah, I mean, she fosters in, uh, what's her name? RC. Yeah. She fosters like the moment that tips Aggie over to the mm-hmm. to the other side because like she basically gives the ultimatum like, sanity or this like it's yeah uh, it's him or it's me and he's having that little freak out pat the bugs all over him yeah and she's like i can't leave him like this why would you take away the one good thing in my life yeah. which is a weird thing because obviously that's her son her son would have been the one good thing in her life yeah especially when harry connick jr is her husband yeah so like it's I mean, we can't take anything away from harry connick jr in this movie either his performance is fucking great he's just not around as much uh, yeah, he's brilliant. Lynn Collins is RC, superb. Um, we need to talk about Brian O'Burn later because yeah. that's a very complicated little potato. But nobody fucks 
this movie up. Everybody brings everything they've got. And I think what's really interesting is, and I, you know, I will admit I'm very much on the naive side in terms of like how movies are actually made, but this was shot chronologically, which yeah. I mean, obviously that's a deliberate choice. There's a lot of budgetary restraints that go into that, but it fucking feels like it's happening as it's happening. It doesn't there's no cracks in the in the timeline, the lineage, everything feels like it's chugging along in real time. You feel like you're there for the entire time this movie takes place. Yeah, I think that's a thing. Like, normally when films are shot non-chronologically, yeah, it's because you shoot all the stuff in one location all at once, and then you shoot all the stuff in a different location all at once. Sure. So when you're shooting in one location or one set, which they basically are for the bulk of this movie, mm-hmm. there's no reason why you wouldn't or couldn't or shouldn't shoot chronologically yeah and it feels like the the best of all possible decisions to have that for the actors to have them be able to descend into that almost organically without having to be like right it's day 26 if you remember correctly you're 40 percent insane today whereas yesterday you were 79 percent insane (laughs) like yeah it's just it's just better right like I, i know that these actors could could do that yeah but like i feel like we get a better performance because they don't have to do that yeah absolutely i think the the performances in this film are some of the greatest performances I've ever seen in a film. Like, yeah. you, I know that Michael Shannon is Michael Shannon, and I know that Ashley Judd is Ashley Judd, but I do not see either of them in this film. <laughs> yeah, when I think of Michael Shannon with his like brightly coloured socks on a you know on some like evening talk show, being very dry but very funny and very witty and charismatic, that ain't the fucking guy. No. He slips into another dimension to play this guy. And Ashley Judd, I've never seen her do this before. Where did this come from? She's a great actress. Don't get me wrong. I've seen her in a lot of... I've seen her play... She's always great. Stuff she's in is normally not. But in this, it's like the stars fucking line up and just... You get this incredible performance in an incredible movie. I want to say that I think the, in terms of billing the the, the leads... Mm. In this in this film, I would I would bill Shannon and Judd simultaneously. Oh yeah, for sure. I, and then I would I would build the sound design. Yeah. Next, the sound design in this film is basically blah blah blah. The New York City is basically a character in the movie, whatever. But like, <laughs> if if the sound design wasn't how it is, this movie could like it lives and dies on that sound design. Yeah. There's a there's a moment like in the opening shot. Oh, not the opening shot because the opening shot is the the tinfoil room, but like the mm. the shot of the hotel where there's just a truck driving past, and like the way that they use the Doppler effect of the of the radio in the truck just to like really sell the isolation. It's like I've never seen that done before, or I've never noticed it being done before in a way that made me think, "Fucking hell, that's so good." It's really clever, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like everything just like settles you in this absolutely isolated dark dirty hot sweaty little mm-hmm. room like oh this yeah the sound design is next level throughout like the the sort of subtle helicopter noises it's that i just don't think it's an easy job to make this movie sound incredible you've got a room that's fucking wrapped in tin foil you've yeah. got chopper sounds that that we're supposed to believe You've got, you know, people outside talking into a room, people inside talking out of a room. You've got a crazy-ass bar scene. There's a lot going on for, like, what was probably one guy with a boom mic and a very busy Foley guy. <laughs> like, it's 
it's superbly pulled together you're right and it's it doesn't just you know it's not like oh crap we better make the best of all this shit sound we recorded it's it's very i mean that's again that's got to come from the stage right you can't you can't have a play that is anyway in any way convincing unless the sound is pretty magnificent so yeah there's a touch of that bleeding in for sure yeah i think there's one moment in this film where the the sound or the soundtrack rubs me up the wrong way yeah when's that when after michael shannon's ripped his tooth out and he smashes Mm. it and actually judd looks through the microscope to see all the bugs that are coming out of his tooth Mm. and just says millions and then like we get like five seconds of metal of like just heavy metal. <laughs> You'll be amazed to learn. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, weird. It is weird. It's 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 to serve a point. Obviously, yeah. it's it's definitely a choice, and it is is there for a reason. But it just feels a little bit a little bit wonky to me. A, a smidge awkward. It's probably because it's such trash metal. Yeah, like the music in this movie is bad, but there's so little of it. It doesn't matter. I think I was thinking about sound, and when you were talking about the potentially comedic side of the desperate rant trying to connect all the broken pieces of a shattered life i thought add a laugh track to that and see what happens i bet you're right i bet it would play as comedy that's how close comedy and tragedy are in this movie like i guarantee you put some laughs over that changes it completely yeah i think the stage play is is played more for laughs Mm. but I, i don't know how much of that is uncomfortable laughs well, Shannon's so good at comedy as well. That's one thing. One, my one objection is that he doesn't get enough, you know, comedy time. He's so funny. He's just one of the funniest guys mm. going. But yeah, you know, I, there's there's a lot to laugh at in this because it's a bit of a if you don't laugh, you'll cry situation. And I did both. Like, it's, it's there's no getting out of this without some kind of heightened emotional response. I think. Yeah. Unless you're one of those people who can't stand you know, single room dramas or, you know, tiny casts or whatever, in which case maybe don't bother. But I was dying. Why would you deny yourself that? I know. Some people just hate it, right? I forget how niche it is because I love it so much. So I'm always careful to say like, (laughs) that's ain't for everybody. There's there's great dialogue in this film as well. It's worth noting it's incredibly well written from a dialogue point of view. One of the, it's a great early, I mean, it's so authentically, you know, like, pretty impoverished Oklahoma like there's so much yeah. comedy coming out of that there's a bit where she asks where he's from and he says beaver and she says we're all from beaver ain't we and he just doesn't yeah. get it <laughs> it's so good like stuff like that is genuinely hilarious yeah I'd written that down too yeah but it's it's their delivery of the great yeah. lines that really nail it there's just I mean some actors just have a way of saying things that makes it poignant it doesn't matter what they're saying you know christopher walken does it a lot i think to a, an extent that it's been pretty heavily parodied um i mean who else would you say is a good deliverer of lines in a way that fe- like morgan freeman i guess to a lesser or greater extent yeah i think with christopher walken it was being parodied before he'd done any movies sure like one of his first ever roles is in annie hall and he's already <laughs> in annie hall like he's already the butt of the joke before. yeah for that intense little monologue that he does and followed immediately by a driving scene. Yeah. Like the world needed him. The world needs Michael Shannon. Jeff Goldblum. World, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Jeff Goldblum in this, obviously. There's there are some very yeah. purposeful allusions to, to the fly. When he first squatted at that microscope, I literally shouted the fly at myself alone <laughs> in my house. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a scene later on when he's like squatting and like cr- crawling around like a 
like a monkey man or yeah a when he's man. naked like there's a lot of yeah you're right a lot of beautiful lines between the two which i love yeah also he is naked and you do get to see the shannon hog finally yeah for me at least i mean not for the world this was 2006 but like yeah it's i mean it's great to see him naked it's fantastic to see him naked several times it's not exactly yeah. difficult to watch Ashley, Ashley Judd naked either. It's all great. <laughs> it's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful time. And like the nakedness is like, it's not sexy. I mean, you could you could make it sexy if you really tried. Yeah. But like, it's all about vulnerability. And mm -hmm. oh, it's just it's such a well-made film. It's yeah. just really, really good. You're right. Like, because we see Michael Shannon naked relatively early, right? Before, quote unquote, the sex scene. Yeah. And there is something, it's it's bizarre. I, I'm not, I haven't really thought this through, but there's something unnatural about seeing him naked. <laughs> like, he feels, it feels wrong and not in like, a, oh, we shouldn't be seeing him naked kind of way. It just feels like he shouldn't be naked. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but he's so at ease with his nudity, I think is what makes it slightly odd. Yeah. He's just great, you know. I think because he's such an uncomfortable presence. Yeah, as well. you don't like, expect to see him naked at all, yeah. do you? <laughs> Like, you're already put off by him. Like, he yeah. literally says, like, I make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, mate, you do. Yeah. Please put your hog away. <laughs> well, I didn't go that far. But he's also he also <laughs> tells us that he hasn't been with a woman in a long time and that he has mm. no interest in her on a sexual level. So we don't expect to then see him naked and fucking, like, a little while later. <laughs> it's great. The sex scene is insane as well because it is all basically, like, slow panning over motionless people yeah and making like vaguely sex faces or like yeah. bits of skin or like hands intertwined and stuff like that there's like there's no real um humping or anything like that yeah it's Which, not you know, it's not a classic like hollywood sex scene is it it's like you know it's like the kind of thing you get at the theater where there's a screen in front and you see shadows and they amplify and wherever else and there's a moment where their mouths are connected by a line of spit I think is really deliberate and really purposeful. There's a lot of very close-up shots of him sucking her nipple, which I think is, again, just that's not just what you picked. That's for a reason. You're telling yeah. us a lot. There's, you know, there's loads of her face. And you're right, it's a it's a totally vulnerable... Uh, it's not one of those sex scenes where you feel voyeuristic or intrusive. It just makes you feel uh, a part of something that is incredibly intimate that you're you're supposed to be slowly drawn into so that you can be spat out the other side and have the shit kicked out of you for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. And, like, it's important. We talked, I think, on a previous episode about how, like, kids these days don't want sex scenes because they don't feel like they advance the plot. Yeah. But if we don't, if we don't see them bang in the way that we see it happen yeah. here, then the drone mother bug thing later on it mm -hmm. doesn't land the same it would never no. land if the sex scene wasn't really intimate and like they, they and they're looking back at it like it's it was forced to happen by these events outside of their control yeah and it is birthed all of these bugs yeah like that doesn't that doesn't work if you don't get to experience that moment yeah and i'm sorry like even less than that we just don't know them as well if we don't see that the, the sex in this movie is really important. It's very brief. It's one scene, but it's vital. They talk about it beforehand. The start of the movie is quite sexually charged. There's a discussion about them having sex or not, you know, case in point. And then 
there is that sex scene which is diced in with a shot of a, a mantis at the end you know it's incredibly yeah. important it's artfully done and then we have a whole aftermath of that sex that is fucking biblical we have like 20 minutes of the after effects of that scene so you know to, to have this like narrow-minded i've seen it all approach saying like we don't need sex scenes in movies ah, mm. i got i got a movie for you <laughs> where you do <laughs> like maybe 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 uh, we don't need the kind of sex scenes that these kids have seen, but uh, hard disagree. I think sex is sex is such an important part of life. It's an important part of art. Fucking leave it in, buddy. I agree to some extent. Like there are sex scenes in a lot of movies that do not do nothing to forward move the plot forward, or I mean, sometimes sex scenes exist in sex in films to get you hard and to get you off. Get your, mm-hmm. get your dick racing but like get your dick racing yes keep it going <laughs> but yeah sometimes they serve no value I'm trying to think of one and I can't think of one right now <laughs> I th- I think moving the plot forward is fucking overrated I don't think a sex scene should be expected to move the plot forward to be honest that's not it's job I think but like the, the, the sex scene in this moves the plot forward I feel like everything yeah. that happens every second every shot every sound every word is designed to move you to where the the movie ends up like yeah. it's so economical with like yeah true and the the camera is always moving mm-hmm. and i think it's i watched a behind the scenes featurette which was mostly bunk but like the the camera was always on tripods yeah so I don't know why it was always moving, but it's always moving slightly. So there's a there's like a weird sort of kinetic energy that sort of follows you throughout the film, and it gets obviously worse in some scenes, and it's pretty imperceptible in, in others. But it, the camera is never stationary. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I bet they're moving it to stave off not moving it because if your camera is always on a tripod, it's kind of always still, right? So you maybe yeah. you have to, and you're tracking a lot of people in really tight spaces. I bet it's one of those things. I bet these kids are just watching porn. They've drawn this conclusion solely from porn where the only thing that doesn't move the plot forward is the sex scene. <laughs> Everything else is great plot. And then the sex happens and it all goes to hell. Take the sex out of porn. You've got great movies. I mean, that's not true. Although no, I, I know. Did, these kids are idiots. <laughs> I did have a DVD. Um, I don't know where it came from, but I, I acquired a DVD of a Batman porn parody. It was like a porn parody of the '60s Batman. Acquired. You paid an enormous amount of money for that, don't know. I, I, I <laughs> categorically did not, but I, I, yeah, but I don't know where it came from. But right. there was an option on the DVD to watch it without the sex scenes. Did you do it? Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> and it, it plays like an episode of the '60s Batman series. It's Superb. Great. See, you're proving my point. <laughs> Kids are idiots. They just watch porn. When they say movies, they mean porn. <laughs> Anyway, back to the show. I think in terms of those moments of delivery, there's a a point really early on where, you know, Shannon's lines are a bit reserved. He's just kind of there at this party in the motel room. I don't think, I think he pitches his presence there really well because he doesn't feel uncomfortable. He doesn't feel like the Shannon that you would expect now. He doesn't feel overpoweringly out of place. He just seems like a nice guy in a sort of bad girl situation. And he looks a little bit out of his depth. Amazing. He delivers the line, uh, a radioactive element at one point, so perfectly in that like 
space that actors who deliver lines in a really particular deliberate way mm. live and it just it's it burrowed into my mind his face and his lips and his mouth saying that those words just will be there forever and it's not a moment in the movie even it's just a line i i feel like the stuff with the smoke alarm is my least favorite stuff in the movie it doesn't quite make sense to me i don't i don't quite buy into it the way that i'm supposed to i think what what do you think you're supposed to buy into in that one well like there's a there's a read about like a co2 leak oh or God. yeah i mean there's yeah. a bunch of jet bunk reads on this film yeah, can i, I can i take can I take you through some of the theories online that I've read about this film? Yeah, let's just fucking Julius Caesar these bad boys. They're all going to be thumbs down, I bet. Yeah, so so one of them is that there's a the CO2 leak caused Bullshit. by... Yeah, nonsense. One <laughs> of them out. is that Peter doesn't exist and is just in Aggie's imagination or delusion. Nope, people are looking at him, talking to him, addressing him. He's there. <laughs> he kills people. What? <laughs> he does things. He's very yeah. active in the plot. Yeah. One is that Peter is Aggie's lost son. Mm, I, I will admit, at one point, my brain did go, oh, fuck, it's him. But then I thought, fucking, no, he's so old. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. Worth entertaining, doesn't work. I don't think it's worth entertaining. I think it would be super cheap. Yeah. It's like, if, if this film came out, or if this play was written in the 60s, yeah. maybe that's the sort of bullshit twist that you can get away with. Yeah. But like... In 2006, in a William Friedkin film with no. Michael Shannon in it, you're just Mm-mm. you're not getting away with that. That's why it was like it was one neuron in my brain whispered it to another one, and then the rest of my brain went, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> like yeah. That's that's how much credence it deserves. Because the film purposefully makes parallels between how she treats him yeah. and how she treats how how she would treat a son. Yeah, but that's on purpose. That's to show that he and his insanity. Filling mm-hmm. a hole in her life that exactly. has been left by the disappearance of Lloyd. So, so yeah. So that's one. One. This is my favorite one. Go on. Uh, the bugs are real. They're really there. Yeah. Do you know what I read? Several reviews online where people were saying things like, "Well, the bugs, the bugs really do a number." You know, like they're actually giving credence to the existence of these bugs and saying. And there was like comments under some of them that were like, the bugs aren't real. That's the whole point of the movie. And these people were like, oh yeah, explain all the bug strips and the bug zappers. And like, what the empty bug strips and the inactive bug zappers. That's the whole point. We're supposed to look at them as evidence. There are no bugs. Every now and then the bug zappers zap a fly. Yeah, because rooms have flies in them. Sweaty motel room in Oklahoma. Yeah, can you imagine watching this? I'm I'm not talking shit about anyone, but I just... (laughs) <laughs> oh, if, if I watched this movie and walked away like, wow, they had fuck a real bug problem in that movie, I'd be like, what the fuck? Jesus, fucking hit these people with cars. Just move on, world. Leave these people behind. <laughs> Walk yeah. away and be like, shit, man, why didn't they ring an exterminator in the first scene? That would have sorted everything out. Because the bugs were... Uh, what's the word? Genetically engineered super military bugs. Yeah. They were impervious to, to bug sprays. Of course. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how those people end up watching these movies. It just <sighs> bends my... And then they write about it online. What is yeah. happening? I'll be so funny if everything I'm saying in this podcast is completely wrong and someone down the road is listening to it and being like, Who the... what the fuck? This... <laughs> what? What's he saying? No, and then, okay, the final theory that I read online. 
Go on. That I, that I wanted to talk about is that Peter is an alien. Totally viable. Yeah. Yeah. You could, I mean, the, the X is an alien or aliens did X is everything ever, right? You can insert that into any line of logic and you have to give it some credence. Yeah, so they argue that the, the, the drone or the crane shots are like him landing and like he's feeding off her or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not there, but like if you if you wanted to make that argument, I wouldn't call you a prick. You could argue that fucking Jack from Titanic is from the lost city of Atlantis and the scene at the end is just him going home. You can literally work aliens into fucking anything. You look uh, skeptical. <laughs> I mean, I, I am skeptical. I'm trying to figure out if if there's anything else that would support that within the within the the narrative of what, what's Titanic. he doing? What's he doing? Uh, the beginning of the movie? I don't know dancing below deck. Yeah, who does that? No, earlier. Like, where does he come from? Nobody knows. Atlantis. That's why. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't buy that. Well, how did they not spot the iceberg? That's my next question. Because the Atlanteans rose it from the depths of the secret layer of the ocean in which they live to take down the Titanic, to take back Jack, one of their own. I'm sorry if there's anyone from Liverpool listening to this, because we take the Titanic very seriously in this city. <laughs> Everybody takes the Titanic seriously. <laughs> Everyone takes that movie seriously. It's James Cameron, right? Yeah. It's a good movie, dude. Obviously, we're in a tangent here, but I remember watching Titanic. I had like my mum had like a two video VHS. Mm. So because it's so oh, I had that long. one, the double. Yeah, I remember that. I had the double. Yeah, I remember sitting down, being like, "Yeah, all right, I'll watch Titanic. I'll show them." And by the end of it, I was a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my mum came in and she's like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "I watched Titanic." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder where you've been for five hours. Uh, yeah, I had the same thing. Like, some girl I liked was having a movie night and she was watching Titanic. I was like, fuck, I've got to sit through Titanic just to try and fucking get somewhere with this girl. And then I watched it and I was like, I basically proposed. Like, such a good <laughs> film. And yeah, Atlantis. Look it up. I'm sure. So yeah, so those are the those are the theories. Good good and bad and and bad. Not... <laughs> You need theories with a movie like this, I think. If you're unable to just accept or dig into the labyrinthine malfunction potential of the human mind. <laughs> like, yeah. like people who people who are very sane all the time don't understand like us that it can all go really wrong without you even realizing. And movies like this play to those crowds, you know. Yeah. We know how fucking easy it is for the cheese to slide off the cracker. That's why we watch Michael Shannon with growing agony as he drags somebody else into it. Yeah. It's it's pure searing agony from the very beginning. And Yeah, there's there's a there's an AJJ lyric that's like you're always only one bad day away from like total collapse or whatever. And like yeah. that's absolutely true and we know yeah. that. It's the Bukowski thing of uh I can't remember the exact quote, but it's you know, it's not the great losses of your life that send you to the madhouse like the death of a love. It's the you know, breaking a shoelace when you're five minutes too late, that kind of thing. Like that is exactly it you know it's but this movie takes all of that plus you know really really heavy-handed stabs at the nature of loneliness and the uh, loss of hope and misery that comes with it and somehow doesn't feel like it's overplaying its hand despite the fact that we have a guy covered in sores stark naked screaming they're eating me and ripping out his teeth like 
how how have they achieved this incredible balancing act in this yeah. little film? It's short as well. What is it? An hour and forty two. Oh, it's just masterful. There's a scene where Ashley Judd raises her arms and screams, "I'm the super mother bug," and like yeah. in any other film, that would be like a shit line. Yeah, with a like. It would be a ridiculous moment, but it's not. It doesn't feel ridiculous here because you are so bought into her and her beliefs and this relationship and everything that's happened. You're like, you go, girl. Yeah, I wrote it. it down in caps. It's such a, it's it's a, it's one of those lines that should be garbage, but it works so well. And not far before that, there's another one that you could put a laugh track on, and it would probably completely change. But Shannon is screaming at her, "What don't you know?" to yeah. get her to fill the gaps. He's screaming at her, what don't you know? So that she says loads of things she doesn't know and takes them as facts. Oh, it's very clever. <laughs> it's yeah. such such a fucking masterclass in manipulation, insanity, vulnerability, power. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a relationship epic in one hour 42. Well done. I have some questions for you, Sam. Eh? Okay. Is the phone really ringing? Uh, I think it is, yes. Okay. And we'll tie that in, I think, when we finally get around to talking about uh, Dr. Sweet, because that is baffling. But what else yes. you got? Well, so, uh, well, my next question is going to be, is Dr. Sweet real? <sighs> I mean, I am led to believe by my instincts, yes. Why would he then take too big honks on a fucking meth pipe <laughs> your line of logic matches mine exactly why would he why does he why is this happening i was so <laughs> spun by that i just did not expect that and then i thought okay fucking we've seen this before this is uh nick cage's bad lieutenant this is fucking uh this is uh this is all those movies where the cops do drugs to appear on your side or you know to to slip into a a, a role of their own this is a mm. an actor playing a cop playing somebody else but i i am not sure that's what was happening is is he a robot uh, could he be a robot that would have been top of my list of batshit theories <laughs> and it to be honest is the most believable <laughs> we we see no evidence uh, we see buckets of evidence to the contrary. There's yeah. a lot of gore. And yet part of us is so fucking sucked in by the madness that we think, oh, it could be a robot. That is very possible. Why would you smoke meth as the doctor that has come to retrieve the insane person? Well, this is it. So my my granular analysis, which... You know, I would consider granular granular analysis to be just thinking about it constantly for a couple of days. Is that I don't think he ever actually says he's a doctor, or does he? Uh, he says he's more of a contractor. I think is what he says. Yeah, he says or consultant, consultant, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, which is classic CIA shit, right? Yeah, the CIA hires consultants. They call their assassins contractors. My only way around this is that he was legit a CIA operative. And, you know, he could get away with just fucking smoking some crack or some meth or whatever in order to get to what he needs at the end of it. Okay, but the CIA, after Peter, lends a lot of credence to the uh, 
to the superbug antenna. I drank the Kool-Aid. What can I say? <laughs> like, if, if he's CIA, then that, that absolutely, at least in the mind of someone who's in the film, and that, that justifies the things that he's saying. I'm somewhere between they had a really bad bug problem and he was a robot, and I need somebody <laughs> to save me. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like, and also, why does he be like, yeah, that's not a delusion when she shows him the bug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says so much fucked up shit. He comes in like a true agent of chaos and flips this movie upside down. I love the performance. I love everything about him in this movie. And mostly because he leaves me even more bewildered than I was before. My my own, like my, I, I say it's thin, it's really thin. But I think maybe if not CIA, then some kind of army uh, bounty hunter, hunter, contractor type guy. But, you know, most of those guys just barge in, smack the woman into a corner and take their their bounty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they don't go through this Machiavellian... <laughs> they, don't... they don't have all this background information that they've got from the ex. They just find out where they are, they kick the door in and fucking see you. Especially if they go in and they see the level of, you know, psychotic, you know, self-perpetuating madness that's going on in there. So I, I think... Maybe not CIA, maybe contracted bounty hunter of some kind. But he's rubbish. He gets stabbed. Like, how does he not see that coming? Shannon comes out with a knife, looking the most unhinged he's ever looked, and just knifes him to death. All he's got is a little syringe. What did he think was going to happen? Yeah. I wish I knew what I was meant to think of that. Does he not say any of that and not do any of that? Because obviously we know that he's there because we see him dead in the opening shot mm. and in the shot at the end of the credit. The post-credit thing, yeah. So like we know that he's real as yeah. a as a as an entity, but maybe the scene doesn't play out like we see it. Maybe he comes in and he's like, "I'm Doctor Sweet. I've come to take the dude back," and. Aggie is making those connections again. You can help me get my child back. You can blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it's all part of her delusion. But like, we don't see any of the delusions play out like that. We don't even so, see anything in the edit that makes us question if he's there or not. Do you know what I mean? There's no yeah. like shimmery cuts or, you know, weird like suggestive mirror angles or anything. It's just he's fucking flesh and bone and then he's dead. And I, you know, I personally think it's brilliant. I know a lot of people will grapple with it and and wonder if it should be in the movie or whatever else, but I think it's great because it makes you question things the way Agnes has been the whole time. It makes... You don't always need everything explained to you in a movie for something to be effective and for something Mm. to move you, and I think he is uh, a stroke of chaos thrown into the mix. Yeah, so I just don't know. I I can't place whether where that lives... What, what, it's, what it's there to do. I mean, obviously, also, there's the element that, like, we see that corpse in the opening shot and then we see it in the post credit shot. So does that mean that, chronologically, he's still there in the room that didn't burn down? Yeah, another great question. Uh, that All of those sequences felt strange to me because of their placement, which, you know, you think you finished the movie, you think you know at least, like, roughly where you stand. And then, boop, there's a little shot of uh, the room not burned or exploded yeah i mean the, the room burns very quickly it's a lot of really highly flammable like jet fuel <laughs> yeah true and it is like fully enclosed with tin foil it's like fucking fire in a microwave like it's insane 
Oh, yeah. Oh, it's awful. That's a bad burning scene. It's way scarier than any other burning scene we've had in quite a few burning scenes. Scarier than the burning scene in The Burning? There's just such high stakes in this burning scene. Their acting is almost wordlessly just killing you. And then it all goes up in flames. It's too fucking beautiful. They say a lot of nonsense things immediately before getting burned. Yeah, like non-sequiturs. Baby bug water, baby bugs, baby bugs. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> Which again just feels, in the moment, to me, even more intimate. It's like shit they've said away from our prying eyes. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, very beautiful. And uh, you are left like absolutely fucking devastated when they burn to death in a horrible motel room. Do you buy them reaching the conclusion that the bugs don't want to go out into the world and they will the bugs will stay with them and the only way to make sure that everyone is because the bugs are the, then their children or whatever is to is to burn themselves i buy that they buy it a hundred percent i buy their performance so completely that i would buy anything they say at that point in the movie I mean, there's just so many highlights, so many high points, so many amazing things happening. There's a great bit. Michael Shannon like escalates his ability to deal with Harry Connick Jr. in this really, really well, I think. Mm. There's a great bit where he comes into the room, he kind of breaks into the motel with his uh, credit card and he's nosing around and Shannon hides behind him for a really uncomfortable amount of time and then just claps really loud and says, can I help you? <laughs> And it's so good. It's so twisted. It made me just want to do that immediately. Thinking about like just setting up, engineering a situation where somebody's in my house and I pull that off because it's so menacing. That for me is like proto Shannon menace. I feel like if you did that, you would get the street trash fart ripped in the face rather than the the opportunity to clap. I'd probably get kicked in the throat. I'd be lucky if I got fart in the face. It's it's just beautiful. It, again, he's so like lean and angular and kind of explosive in this. You're just constantly on edge. It's brilliant. I mean, get get these two together for more movies. What the fuck? Reunite this cast for a, not a sequel or anything, but like get them in something else together. They got so much chemistry. Yeah. What well, what's the plot of Two Bugs? Two bugs. <laughs> Gotta have a robot doctor in it. I mean, it's such a good delusion that the guy's a robot. That's so good. Like, what about the film again, but from their point of view? Yeah, that would be pretty great. I did like those shots towards the end where you saw the apocalyptic helicopters and the flashing lights and all the mayhem, and then you saw uh, Jerry, Harry Connick Jr. outside the door trying to get in, and it's just like a normal night. <laughs> just yeah. really normal sounds and sights and lighting. And then inside, it's like fucking... Yeah, it's numb. Yeah, it is fully. It's like Platoon inside and the Barbie movie outside. It was very strange. <laughs> uh, and I love that. I thought that was really clever and really artful. And there's a few scenes where people are talking through doors to each other that just felt really, really symbolic of like the barriers we put up between ourselves and others and what happens when we break them down. Not always good. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a brutally honest movie and mysterious, which I love. Give me that mystery all night long. Yeah. I feel like this is the, the only movie where, where we've seen Shannon go fully unhinged. Like the scene when he stabs Dr. 
sweet. Yeah. Like, mostly Shannon is, even in, like, these intense roles, like, shimmering, like, just below the surface, mm-hmm. rage and sadness. Like, you never really j- often get to see him go completely insane, like, outwardly like that. Yeah, to the point where he's almost inarticulately yeah. over over that edge. The, the famous scene in... Um, well, there's, there's again, there's hints at it in those early career performances, you know, like shotgun stories. That the famous scene in Take Shelter where he quote unquote loses it. I just, I, I don't like people's perception of that scene because I don't think that's him losing it at all. I think that's him firmly standing his ground. Yeah, and absolutely. That is proven to be true towards the end of the movie in a way, but he is not out of control in that scene. Far from it. He is delivering a pitch perfect standing up for yourself scene so yeah we we don't see him in that state in that that level of you know semi-psychotic escalated uh, aggression and i don't know like almost like self-righteous mayhem we don't really see that in many other movies or any to be honest and more and more in his bit parts we're seeing him as a bit more uh either lingering presence of menace or light relief and not explosive you know craziness i actually love him in the night before have you seen the night before i haven't seen the night before it's a christmas movie okay <laughs> and it's a straight up silly goose seth rogan comedy there's nothing i like more than watching that right before christmas it's it's got um a really great cast and he plays do you know what i won't tell you anything just watch it it's brilliant and he okay. is he he's like i don't know maybe my top Definitely my top 10 Shannon performances in that movie. And again, basically it's heartwarming comedy from him in that. I don't think his biggest strength is his quote-unquote freakouts that people seem to have pigeonholed him for. I think it's everything else he does. His freakouts are punctuation. Yeah, like, exactly. The, the rest of the performance is the sentence. Like, mm-hmm. pay attention to the words rather than the comma. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like... Absolutely. Like... That maybe that's the stuff that makes the I don't know reels or whatever the fuck. But look at him in George and Tammy. Look at him. Well, look at him in Shotgun Stories. If you want a masterclass in subtlety, I don't know. He's channeling like you know uh, what's that Billy Bob Thornton movie that he wrote, directed, and starred in? Slingblade. Yeah, yeah, Slingblade. Sorry, yeah. Like Slingblade was too caricaturish to really pull back and be really heartfelt. Uh, but I think if you remake that and cast Shannon, you've got the next fucking Saving Private Ryan on your hands. That's not what I meant. I meant Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about these freakout scenes, etc. I know the first time I saw Shannon was Groundhog Day, but a little bit like you, I you know I didn't connect that Shannon with the Shannon yeah. of later years. I think the first full oh my god, who's this guy Shannon I saw was actually The Woodsman. Do you remember The Woodsman? Mm. Um, is that the Kevin Bacon pedophile movie? Yeah, which I yeah. I loved. I thought The Woodsman was fantastic. I watched it a few times. I'm pretty sure he's in that somewhere, right? He's in that. Is he like a dad? Yeah, I think so. Maybe he's part of a mob. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I watched that one time and I had to stop and take a little breather because I was yeah. so terrified of what was going to happen in one scene. In the, the scene when they're in the woods. Yeah. It's, and the, it's... the little girl is there and you're like, God. Don't do it, Kevin Bacon. You've yeah. worked so hard. Yeah, it's 
it's a rough hang. He plays Rosen in that movie. I'd have to rewatch it to know how much he's in it, but I remember him standing out in that and then just kind of tracking him from that moment on. It's not often for me that I've totally fallen in love with an actor, especially not someone, you know, doing lots of pretty high profile Hollywood stuff, but you know, live or die by Michael Shannon. What a guy. Yeah. Well, I, this was like, like I said at the start, this was like my intro to like Michael Shannon, capital M, capital S. Mm. I was firmly like, I will watch basically anything that, that he's a, he's a lead in. Yeah. I think like this and take shelter and my son, my son, what have you done? Yeah. Are like the three sort of perfect Shannon lead performances, at least of this era. Yeah, definitely. And he was good in The Iceman. Yeah, I didn't like the movie at all, but no. I thought he was great. Yeah. He just he just doesn't fuck up, really. Like, again, he just nails it. And I, as soon as I saw Friedkin and Shannon, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yes. Every day for the rest of my life, please. Those two together in stuff, <laughs> doing stuff together. And then one of them died and one of them got big. What are we going to do, huh? Yeah, well, I think, like, even Big Shannon is still making interesting choices now. They're just intercut with, with DC movies. But, like, even then he was doing weird, mainstream, weird stuff. Like, he was in the fucking Jonah Hex movie. Yeah, I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's just seen enough and knows that if I knock out some shite, I can do whatever the fuck I want in my theatre for the rest of my life. Yeah. I can, I can just be me. I think he knows how to cough the bait back up and crack on I think the guy's got it sussed when will he fuck up what are we going to see him in that ruins it for us do you think what's the what's the big no no I don't think that I don't think there will be because like he keeps going back to being fucking Zod and Zod uh, variants in like these fucking DC movies Hmm. and like every time he does it he's a little bit more dead eyed and like that's fine because like if you get to do that and I'll watch it because he's fucking in it. Yeah. But like, if you get to do that and that affords you the freedom to make 20 more bugs, then, you know, fucking A, do it. Yeah. I will just watch the 20 more bugs. I don't watch any of the superhero shit he's in because I am genuinely worried that it will make me sad. Um, like, I don't, I don't love seeing him in a small role mm. because he's so good that like, it makes me wish that Whatever movie I'm watching, he's the guy. Yeah. Like, in Bad Lieutenant Port of Cornwall Inns, like, mm. he's only in it for, like, two minutes. And I love Nicolas Cage, but I'm like, why aren't you the guy? Why isn't the movie about this guy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's a Clash of the Titans that I'm going to have to sit out. I'm not getting between Daddy and Daddy. That's I'm out of this one. I know, yeah. like, I'm on a massive Jeff Nichols kick in all my uh, Shannon references, but even his tiny part in Mud is like it glues so much of the family dynamics together in that movie it's so could just be funny like he could just bring nothing but funny to that but he doesn't he makes it so fucking believable and just threads together so many parts of those kids lives just by being on screen for like four minutes oh my god he's good anyway i'll shut the fuck up about him now so i want to talk about freakin before we sort of move on yeah but i wanted to ask you because I know how much of a Jeff Nichols fan you are. Mm. How would you feel that it would go if Jeff Nichols directed this? Differently, for sure. I don't know if Jeff Nichols has... I, I don't know shit. 
really, before I say anything, but I don't know how how his style would really translate to this. And I don't know if he has the chops for something this pacey. Mm. Not the chops. That's totally unfair. That's not what I meant. I don't know if his skill set and his ability to tell stories translates to make this as effective as it is in Freakin's hands because Freakin's a fucking master of pace. And mm. I think Jeff Nichols wanders into not enough is happening territory quite a lot, especially for mainstream audiences. And there's not, like you said, there's not a scrap of screen time wasted in this movie every beat means something and it takes you somewhere so i, I don't yeah. think it would be good yeah i think jeff Nichols does a lot of like character stuff yeah so when like when we're maybe we're not moving the plot along we're moving the understanding along yeah but like i guess some people could find that boring because nothing's happening yeah or nothing that is gonna get you where you're going is happening but it is mm-hmm. all gonna get you where you're going eventually because that's what understanding characters means exactly yeah but i just thought given that like michael shannon as as part of the sort of jeff nichols stable me too massively and and similar with mcconaughey who was in freakin's next picture which was based on a different tracy let's play um killer joe Mm -hmm. which have you seen killer joe yeah oh mate what a treat yeah i like some of it we should maybe talk about this uh in some kind of like a Patreon episode, potentially. Yeah. Okay. Let's do. <laughs> let's let's uh. We'll get a bucket of fried chicken. Yeah. We'll discuss Killer Joe on the uh on the Patreon. We'll do the Venn point. diagram of Friedkin, Shannon, McConaughey, <laughs> the the whole Nichols stable. So yeah, go on. What's the? So obviously, Friedkin has always made character pieces, but they always were much much bigger. Obviously, think about The Exorcist or The French Connection mm-hmm. or like all the movies that he was making in the 70s into the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like these, they were always about like characters making decisions, often the wrong decision, uh, falling down these rabbit holes. But they were obviously much bigger. They were set in wider contexts, yeah. wider worlds. As he's moved to his career, he's sort of honed in on just the characters mm-hmm. to the point where in Bug, like we said, it's literally two people in a room giving the performances of their lives. Yeah, like, absolutely. And it's, and it's incredible. Just to, just to strip away all of the ancillary material from the worlds of these people, but to still have them be fully formed, like meet people that you could actually feel like you could touch. Yeah, it's, uh, such an achievement, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we get, we get so much of that in in. I know the Exorcist is the easy one to go to, but mm. there, I I still think the same thing happens in the Exorcist to a certain extent. We don't really see Damien Carris on screen for a long time, but I know him better than I know some of my relatives. <laughs> it's yeah. such a fucking achievement. I mean, William Freakin directed all kinds of crazy shit, right? And I like yeah. a lot of trash, but he directed an episode of CSI and I was skimming through his Wikipedia page a long time ago, but maybe when he died actually. And uh, I saw this CSI credit and I was like, I bet I fucking know which one it is. And I looked at it and it was, I had a couple in my head that I thought it might've been. And one of them was that one. And then I realized he, he directed two and the other one was the other one. <laughs> He's so distinctive. <laughs> he can put his mark on CSI. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, yo! What a fucking sad loss. 
Yeah, we'll we'll be back in Friedkin territory pretty soon because yep. he he did direct an episode of Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't wait. I haven't seen that either. I checked. Oh, I'm really? Excited. Yeah, very excited. Yeah, I think like Friedkin had been in a bit of a wasteland since uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. There were some interesting things in the movies in between, but like nothing of this level. I think, like like we say, he needed to just strip it down to brass tacks mm-hmm. and literally, like like I say, I don't know if Ashley Judd, who is, I don't know if I've seen her in an awful lot of things. I only really remember her from Kiss the Girls. Yeah, Kiss the Girls, a pretty distinctive performance, I think, whether or not you uh, love the movie, which I don't think anyone really does. Double Jeopardy? Mm, I don't know if I've actually seen Double Double Jeopardy. She's in Heat, but again, I don't want to be a dick, but she's kind of forgettable in Heat. Um, I mean, you're watching Heat. Yeah, if you're watching Heat, who are you looking at? Yeah. You're you're here for Pacino, you're here for De Niro, to a lesser extent, Henry Rollins, like anyone else. <laughs> Depending on what world you come from, yeah. Oh, yeah. remind me, Henry Rollins, I've got a point about this movie that, that jogged my memory of. Uh, do you know what? I don't know. She's in fucking Dolphin Tale 2. What the fuck? Like, she's <laughs> like, in a bunch of shit. Yeah, well, I mean, look at the movies of, that John Voight makes these days. Like, yeah. John Voight was a, was a real proper actor. But, like, yeah, I don't know if it was the fact that she was sat next to Michael Shannon or or what, but like the performance that she gives in this, she is no longer Ashley Judd. She is this person. I think she it, just fucking auditioned for it and someone was smart enough to go, she's perfect. Nobody else could do this properly. And they just ran with her. I, I really hope that's it. I mean, she. I remember she was in, uh, I think early in her career, she was in a bunch of, really bad tv but nothing i'd seen except maybe some star trek like that kind mm. of thing but she i think she kind of nailed it in double jeopardy I, again i know nobody fucking likes that movie but i kind of do but th- this is like you know it if you do if you have a creative life and you pull one of these out your bag i mean and your your aspirations your goals and your you know your like drive and desire to be a creative person aren't basically satisfied for the rest of your life then yeah. you have a kind of ambition that is uh you know beyond the pale she just smokes it in this movie i saw a review that said it was oscar worthy and my initial reaction was like yeah let's go easy and then i thought about it for a while and i was like i've seen some of this oscar winning shit and i think if anyone's getting an oscar in this fucking movie it should be her yeah well i think i think anyone in this movie could get an oscar including S and design. Yeah. But like <laughs> Mr. S and design. You know what the world's like. Harry Connick Jr. would get the fucking Oscar. <laughs> Do you not think it's insane that you you watch this movie, it's from two thousand six, and Harry Connick Jr. is like thirty five and he did the fucking soundtrack to when Harry met Sally. Yeah, and he looks he looks I don't know why, he just doesn't look like himself in this movie. I never thought I'd have to look up Harry Connick Jr. on IMDb, but I was like, he looks familiar. Who's that? Fucking what? I love Harry Connick Jr. I think, I think I wish that he had become the person that Michael Bublé had ultimately become. Michael Bublé. Yeah, he's like a fucking crooner. Like you wouldn't wish that kind of life on him, would you, Michael Bublé? I just I Give fucking the guy hate a chance. I just hate Michael Bublé, and I want my mainstream popular crooner in modern yeah. times to be. To be someone with some fucking thing about them. Do you know what I mean? Here's a tidbit for you. 
also in Dolphin Tale 2. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> so what's your Henry Rollins point? Uh, this is William Friedkin's uh, hardcore album. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> when, when we came of age and were watching movies, Friedkin was making shite. He was just making nothing that yeah. I would have been interested in. Not shite, that's really dismissive, but shit that I don't give a fuck about. Um, this pulls it back, and it's like, I'm going to rediscover my roots. This is my punk album. And <laughs> smashed it, bud. So what's smashed The Exorcist? It. What 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 kind of a record is that? Jesus. Uh, immediately, I wanted to say Melancholy Infinite Sadness, but that's completely wrong. <laughs> that is... <laughs> so I, I think the Exorcist is pretty punk. Yeah, definitely. So let's fucking let's take a break and then wrap her up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Break one off. Whoa! Holy shit! I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Here we are. We're back. So before we give you our summary of Bug, why don't you tell the good people how they can support the old pod room? First things first, pull that thumb out your ass and tap five stars. <laughs> that sounded a bit aggressive. My apologies. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, we'd like to be more visible so you can help us do that. Another way you can do that is to tell other people about the podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your family uh, if you're getting around a table with any family members anytime soon, break the tension by talking about our episode of Bug and how much we talked about uh, things that weren't related to the movie. Bring up buggery while you're there. Why not? Jamie, you look like you want to say something. I think if you think that we've made some astute points, pass them off as your own, but also recommend the podcast at the same time. I take no responsibility for what happens if you try and pass off one of my dumb opinions as your own. Hard, recommend, don't. Uh, you could also pay us some money if you wanted to for some extra content, for some serious uh, loosey-goosey behind the scenes what happens when Sam and Jamie have a couple of beers and start talking about something completely unrelated. Uh, the Patreon, high-quality content for a low, low price. There's many other things you can do. You can follow us on social media, at ft horror show on instagram is it the That's same correct. on tiktok jamie i won't go there it is the same on tiktok Sam. <laughs> same on tiktok but it's also the same content so if you're a tiktok person go there if you're an instagram person go there if you're both and you care enough then do both but like don't expect anything special you're pick your special. poison yeah. i like that final transmission don't expect anything special <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for real, like repost shit that you like, help us out because uh, the algorithm hates people who work really hard on things they love and try and share them with the world. Yeah. So Sam, summarize your bug thoughts for me. Holy cow. I mean, first of all, I'm going to rate it. I give it billions of bugs out of billions of bugs. You'll get people out there saying it's not a horror movie. Shut the fuck up. You'll get people out there saying it's a movie about bugs. Shut the fuck up. This movie is about many things all of which we've just talked about i'm not going to bore you to tears with a detailed summary i think you get the impression i really really feel like this movie is time well spent especially if you care about themes of loneliness mental health trauma codependency love and any of the above and if you don't you, you ain't watching the right movies this this is a, a really masterful movie that 
just hits in all the right ways. I bugged out over bug is what I would say. What about you, bud? How do you feel about this movie? Um, I mean, I feel exactly the same as you. I would give it 180 welts on Michael Shannon's chest out of, yeah, I don't know. It's a icky, sticky, horrible, isolating, isolated, sweaty little time. If it wasn't so horrible, this could be like in my favorite movie. Great point. Ever. It's worth noting you don't feel good at the end of this. You don't feel better when you think about it more. No. And you don't even feel that great when you talk about it. It's cathartic to get off my chest how hurt I am by this film. But yeah, it's not it's not yeah. gonna soothe any of your worries about loneliness or human nature. It's gonna make you feel really bad. Yeah, it's just it's just a bad, yeah. horrible time. That's well spent, but like, yeah, you you will no, not I, feel good. You'll feel you'll feel the kind of bad that you yeah, want. Yeah, you to won't feel, feel street trash bad. That you deserve. <laughs> you'll feel the opposite. Yeah, you'll feel uh, a very special kind of brutalized at the end of this movie. So not for the faint of heart, that's for sure, or definitely for the faint of heart. I would consider myself quite faint of heart, and I loved it. Yeah, I think, like we've said, it's. It's probably my favourite Michael Shannon performance. It's definitely my favourite Ashley Judd performance. The best modern Friedkin movie. I would obviously we'll we'll talk about Killer Joe yeah. another time on the on the old Patro. But like I do think this is better than Killer Joe. It hits me in a in a more of a horror place, obviously. What a thing that I wrote down, which is a stupid thing, is that it's like the the brain equivalent of a body horror. Which I <laughs> I guess it'd be a psychological horror, but like it's. <laughs> I love the way you've written that down. <laughs> it's like, like the brain equivalent of a body horror. <laughs> so good. But like, it's not. I mean, it is a psychological horror, but what I mean by that is like, it's not just like, ooh, it's psychological. It, it's like, like seven is a psychological horror. No, I know whatever. exactly what you mean. You feel like your fucking brain's being attacked. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's. These these people's brains are melting. Yeah, and so and so as so are ours as we watch. It's like, it, yeah, it's different to a psychological horror. Yeah, but, it's not Cape but, Fear. It's fucking bug. It, yeah, you're right. When you watch body horror, you're you fear for your body. When you watch this, you fear for your fucking mind. Another great read, Jamie. I look up to your fucking takes. A lot, dude. I'm, I'm glad this is our meeting point, by the way. I'm glad this is the movie that we both unequivocally loved. I mean, we've, we weird? both loved a lot of the films we've talked about, but I I mean, I picked this film knowing that you would love it. Yeah, I'm grateful. It's great. I would have probably got to it in many, many years' time because it's Shannon, but I'm so glad I watched it now as well. Just, you know, when a movie hits you at a time in your life where you're ready for it, and yeah. you can take it and you can appreciate all of it without having to like, oh, I can't think about that or I can't deal with that or whatever. I, I was just in such a great place to process this whole movie. And it just does it does the investment of your time and your emotions justice, which is the highest compliment I can pay a movie. Imagine watching this. Imagine going to the cinema for an all day and you watch this in amongst Saw 4 and oh, the movie God. Catacombs starring Pink and Shannon Sossaman. I'd rather go watch a dolphin tale too. <laughs> like it was it was an oasis of amazingness in an yeah. absolute sea of mediocrity. Yeah. I mean I rate the, the the movie 
uh, Catacombs that stars Pink and Shannon Sossaman. Mostly because is there, is any film with Shannon Sossaman in it truly bad? No, no. And also, like, let's not dump on Saw Four completely until we remember which one it is. Uh, Saw Four is is uh, has it got? No, Danny Glover's not in it, is he? Saw Four is when we're deep into the fucking Costas Mandalore. Oh, get cop, the fuck out! Cop of shit. Like yeah. I, I rate all the Saw films, but like if you put if there were two films that I had to pick between, and one of them was gone out of existence forever, mm. and there was Saw Four and Bug. Saw 4 would be so gone. The world would be like, why does Saw go 1, 2, 3, 5? <laughs> they wouldn't even have time to renumber them. That's how quick it would be. I think it's worth noting as well, not to put a downer on a downer, but this isn't going into my top 10, by the way. Like, it's it's exactly like you just said. It's too hard for the top list. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's too unrevisitable. It's too much of a singular experience to really be considered a movie that you love. It's more something that you respect and that you love is in the world for other people. Yeah. This is other people's problem now. <laughs> I'm done with this movie. But I fucking loved having it kick the shit out of my brain. That is about the best summary I can come up with. Yeah, I think I maybe revisit it once per decade. Yeah, I think that's maybe all I could stomach too, for sure. Yeah. Same as, uh, I put that in the same category as Manchester by the Sea. I, it's probably going to take me another 20 years before I can watch that, and I've seen it once. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah, it's like, it does everything right, but the thing that it's doing right is kicking you in the balls. <laughs> exactly. So, like, <laughs> how often can you can you accept a kick to the balls? Uh, only when I really admire the way it's delivered. And again, <laughs> exactly. you still don't look forward to it. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. On that note, Sammy, let's uh, let's say goodbye to the good people. Yeah, let's kick them in the balls uh, in a way they'll remember. Thanks for hanging out with us as we talk about Bug tonight. It's been a really good time. Thanks for putting this in front of me as always, Jamie. I had a blast. No problem. If you've got thoughts about Bug out there, feel free to get in touch either on the Instagram or via email at finaltransmissionpod at gmail.com. Or just bugs in general. You want to talk about bugs? We'll talk about bugs. Or the character yeah. Bug from the movie Uncle Buck. Why not? Talk about yeah. him. He's great. Or or Herbie the love bug. <laughs> or buggery. Bugs. We'll talk about anything. Yeah. Please email us. We're very lonely and we don't want to have to go completely insane. Yeah, I don't want to wallpaper the rest of my house in tinfoil. This room is already crinkly enough. It's hard to record in here. <laughs> <laughs>